Welcome to the Inside Sales Enablement Podcast. Where has the profession been? Where is it now? And where is it heading? What does it mean to you, your company, other functions, the market? Find out here. Join the founding father of the sales enablement profession, Scott Santucci, and trailblazer Brian Lambert as they take you behind the scenes of the birth of an industry. The Inside Sales Enablement Podcast starts now. I'm Scott Santucci. I'm Brian Lambert, and we are the Sales Enablement Insiders. Our podcast is for sales enablement leaders looking to elevate their function, expand their sphere of influence, and increase the span of control within their companies. Together, Brian and I have worked on over 100 different kinds of sales enablement initiatives as analysts, consultants, or practitioners. We've learned the hard way what works and maybe what's most important, what doesn't. Thanks, Scott. And uh, on this show today, what we're going to do is we are actually going to go back a couple months and we're going to talk through the state of sales and element research, but more importantly, the, the findings presentation. Wait, only we, a couple months? Last podcast, we went back to 1217. I know. I know. I shouldn't say we're going back at all because two yeah. months is nothing for you. Exactly. <laughs> That's right. It feels like forever ago in a way because we've been actually producing a lot of content, podcasts, panels. We had our one year anniversary celebration. We're now in season two. And, but what I wanted to do, Scott, is, is actually bring a listener on. We have Kathy that's going to join us here. And what I wanted to do is, is talk through the findings presentation because not all of our listeners were on that. And the reason why I want to do that is it's, it's the executive summary of um, what's happening in the sales enablement space and more importantly, where it's going. So we're not going to recap all the panel discussions and, and all that. The listeners can listen to that. But more importantly, how does this land from a sales enablement leader perspective like we have on the show here today? And how is this being internalized and actioned, if at all, right? Because the findings in and of themselves are great, but uh, how do people process it and what do they do with it? So I've got Kathy joining Wait, us here. Wait, before we do that, let's just remind our listeners. So what, what is Brian talking about with the research? So in March, we had a panel, a COVID panel, where we had um, Dr. Howard Dover, Kunal Mehta, uh, Mehta and um, Lindsey Gore. And from that, we launched a survey. Uh, we did a survey and we had over 100, 100, people, 100 sales enablement practitioners respond to that survey. We recruited uh, and by the way, you can go to our, our, our site uh, to look at what the research process was. We had 43, we deputized 43 analysts, uh, so to speak, to help us out. We ran six panels uh, and then produced the first of a series of webinars that we're doing to unpack all the things that we learned. And that was, uh, that was the first one, uh, which was the findings of all of these things. I guess partial the findings because we've had to we're getting ready to do our fourth uh, webcast. So Brian, go ahead and take it away and go ahead and introduce Kathy. Yeah, absolutely. So I've got Kathy on and Kathy has been uh, somebody that I learned from a lot via LinkedIn and she's chiming in a lot around the uh, this inside sales enablement uh, content and the state of sales enablement research that Scott just alluded to. Her name's Kathy Rowland. She's with Nectar. Hi, Kathy. How are you doing? Hi, Brian. I'm good. How are you? Good. And uh, for the last two months, we've been going back and forth on LinkedIn in a variety of different ways. And uh, I thought it'd be good to just have the public conversation. So I appreciate you jumping on the call with us here and and, uh, processing together what you learned. 
Yeah, happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Sure. So um, let's go back a couple months ago. We had our inside um, the state of sales enablement research. So Scott presented that. I'd just like to open it up with you. What did you take away from that? And what kind of resonated with you as you were processing that content? So, so I'll be honest with you that the, the webinar happened at a time when I was buried. <laughs> and that happens right to all of us in our day-to-day jobs. So I didn't have a chance right away to kind of absorb everything from the webinar. And, and I went back, Scott posted something on the Sales Enablement Society um, board, discussion board. And, and I was like, oh yeah, I should go in, I should go back and look at that. So I actually mm-hmm. went back and looked at all of the materials that, that Scott have, and, and you have pulled together. And I was, the big thing, all of a sudden I had an aha moment and it was around that you all have finally put a title to something I'd been doing or felt like I'd been doing for a really long time. And that was the orchestrator title. Like, oh, that's, that's brilliant because this is something I feel like I've been kind of doing for a long time, he, both here at Nectar and in a previous role, right, in, in previous life at different sales enablement roles where it's not always about the tactics and, and getting everything, doing things and, and just sitting around and getting that right, but also about the whole strategy and, and marrying the two together. So all of a sudden it was like, wow, you guys finally like let me know what I did. I, I literally that day went onto my LinkedIn profile and changed my headline to include orchestrator. Wow. That's, that's amazing. And that's great to hear. Um, actually humbling to hear. So I appreciate that. And it's, it's one of those things where you go through it and you just, you do the findings, you publish it and you don't know quite what the impact is. And one of the things that's interesting here is, you said you're a sales enablement professional and you've been in this, it sounds like you've been in the space for a while. Why didn't, and why don't you compare and contrast a little bit the sales enablement title role versus the orchestrator title and role? Um, why, why does one resonate perhaps a little bit more than another, or, you know, give me some insight into the, the difference between the two to you. Yeah. So I think sales enablement, right. Has kind of gone on this, growth path and we've all tried to figure out what is it what isn't it how do we define it Scott and you and others have done a great job of saying what sales enablement is but if you went out and at one point if you went out and talked to 10 different sales enablement professionals you get 10 different answers about what it was and and not any of them were wrong they were just different and so I think you know, having a title of sales enablement, depending on your perspective, was a question about what it is that you actually were responsible for. And so I've always been kind of a broad strategy person and been able to kind of see a bigger picture. And so to me, when I, someone said, oh, we're going to do sales enablement, I said, well, it's not just training and it's not just content. It's not just this. We have to look at the whole, right? What, what, from the whole makes a salesperson successful and it's much broader and there's many more things than just those things that make it the whole. And then it kind of morphed from there and I started growing that because then it wasn't just the salesperson because there's other people responsible for the success of the company and the revenue generation. That's your channel 
where I have a, a particular focus today is on our channel partners. And then there's the channel, and then it's like, well, yeah, but it doesn't really stop when the order comes in from the customer. So there's this whole holistic thing. So I think I feel like sales enablement might have pigeonholed a little bit for me, and orchestrator was a much better way. I actually moved away from my sales enablement title a little while ago. I went to strict enablement because I have responsibility across the revenue chain. So I took sales completely out. And then mm -hmm. I changed it again last year. And I said, well, that's not exactly even what I'm doing because I'm really responsible for the efficiency of our channel and our sales to get the customer to success. So it, it just, it resonated. The other thing that resonated a lot was it's about being able to work across different functions and work mm -hmm. with people who don't report to you and make them all successful, right? Do be successful together and to be able to, to work across that and, and, and meet a common goal. So there was a lot of it that really kind of stuck in my head. Yeah, so I'm hearing the, the sales enablement title and role felt a little bit restrictive in a way and probably because of how, how people either communicated it or how the market was receiving as, as a training role. I think it was a perception, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And then it, it sounds like your charter or your remit was broader than that, that pigeonholing, if you will, or that's that boxed in. Right. So um, you, you, t you thought about dropping sales and just being enablement and just enablement um, was something that you did actually, it's, it, you said. And then from that perspective, it's, it became about this broader picture, which we we've dubbed the, the ecosystem view uh, and we're, we're actually going to have a podcast soon around that. Um, and then, and then the final piece that you're talking about, which is obviously really intriguing to me and, and what, actually what we've been chiming back and forth around and, on LinkedIn is this idea of working together with people to achieve an outcome and a goal together, whether or not they report into you or not, I'll, I'll throw that in there. Right. right? Cause that's implied that you don't have to have, the headcount reporting into you to be an orchestrator. In fact, it's, it's part of the role of orchestrators to not have the headcount actually reporting into you. Exactly. Right. So what, what, um, what do you think about that as a um, part of the role, this idea of working with others to achieve that outcome and goal? And, and then what have you, what have you seen or taken away from the, the last couple of months that's perhaps uh, struck a chord with you around this idea of I'm an orchestrator. So, you know, I have lots of experience working with across functional teams that don't report to me. And, and it's, it's an interesting thing. And I think we've had this conversation on uh, a little bit on LinkedIn, right? So you have the people with the, the bigger challenge when you have that is you have your tree huggers people who are like, oh, no, this, this piece right over here, this is my piece, and you can't touch it. And that's the way it's going to be. And so to try and, and, you know, get those people to see what the broader picture is and, and come to a consensus. And it, it's, it, when you put it in the context of the benefit, not only to them, to their departments, and more broadly to the revenue and the 
the company, then they'll start to see and take ownership around that. And it's, it's when they start to see that piece of it that's really enlightening and they become much less of a tree hugger and they want to participate more. So what's a, what's a tree hugger, a tree hugger in uh, Kathy land? <laughs> and then, that a little bit. Yeah, the tree hugger in my world is the someone who's on the team and is like just holding on to the way things have always been, or they don't, they just want to do their little piece. They put their blinders on, they're hugging the tree. Like, nope, this is the way it is. And you can't, you can't take it. You can't touch it. it. Right. You can't touch it. <laughs> Leave my tree alone. Yeah, exactly. Don't <laughs> touch my tree. Um, yeah. I, I'm lucky where I'm at now that I don't have a lot of tree huggers. I have a few. Um, I don't have a lot. So that's really, it's, it's really nice, right? So if you think about a channel and you, you try to orchestrate around that, you don't just have your training team and the channel account manager. You also have to think about, okay, who are the support people who are going to take those calls? Who are the professional services people who are going to be involved? Who's the marketing person who's going to work with the channel partner to co-market and get all of that marketing strategy pulled together to come to market together? So that's one of the things that I actually built into our onboarding program for our channel is to have this cross-functional team assigned to every channel partner that we have a contract with. So they all understand who is this partner, what are they trying to do, what's our partnership about, what are our joint objectives, how are we going to get there, what's my role in supporting that to get us to success. So I'm lucky here. I haven't always been that lucky. I've had some pretty hard tree huggers in the past. <laughs> so do you get, do you actually call them that in the group? In the I room? have not. I actually, it actually <laughs> came to me. We were chatting on LinkedIn. I was like, ah, oh, yeah, those guys are tree huggers. I don't, I don't know huggers. if they would... <laughs> I don't know if they would like that. They would not. <laughs> they definitely would not. So I, I don't want to encourage our listeners to start using that. But. No, it, but it's a characteristic, right? And, yeah. and I term it as a, as a not great characteristic. We want those people to be more open and to, to participate in that team. And, that function. Yeah. and the reason why I say that is uh, I've made the mistake more than once to uh, come across a bit judgmental to, to others that don't report to me. And it's not fun to deal with the, uh, aftermath of those things. So no. with, with the, the orchestration angle on this, it's really an interesting uh, space I, uh, to operate within because um, you would think that saying, we have a goal, we have an outcome, let's go, let's row together, would be fairly straightforward. But what you're alluding to is when we say that, there's a certain cognitive bias perspective and in some ways hardwiring around way things have always been done. So uh, that's where, to me, what we also talked about on LinkedIn, the idea of influence and relationship building, you said, look, this has to be factored in as part of an orchestrator, the ability to persuade and negotiate and, and influence and build relationships to drive outcomes together. Why do you think that that's so um, uh, prevalent and required? And why is it a bit difficult to have folks that are really smart and they all want the same, the same goal. They all want to achieve it. Um, but it's, it requires a skill set like what you have to get folks to row together. So I'm not sure why it's so hard. I think inherently people all want to do the right thing. And I have, a, I have trouble with people not feeling empowered. 
that that when I go into these situations and you know we have a cross-functional team, I want them to be empowered to to go and do the right things. And a lot of people don't know what to do with that. So so that's when you need to kind of take a step back and you need to sit with them and say, okay, so you know what? How can we make this work? What listening to those team members is really critical. Just like it's critical to listen to your customers and to listen to the salespeople you're trying to enable and to listen to your channel partners. It's just as critical to listen to those team members to find out, you know, why are they not feeling empowered? Why do they want to continue to do things the, the way they've always been? And, and how do we move past that? How do we work together? So it's really an important thing for an orchestrator to be able to have those conversations like we were just talking about, build those relationships to get them pointed so that we are all rowing in the same direction so that we can get to the desired outcome. You know, I, I don't know, I, I don't understand the psychology of why everyone, or not everyone, but a lot of people don't feel empowered when they come onto those teams, but some of them are there because they've been told to be there, so that's part of it. They, they didn't choose to be part of that team. They're being told to be part of that team. So I think that's definitely a part of it. Yeah, there's a lot to unpack in this, um, this space, right? So you're, you're, by the nature of this discussion, we're not in strategy only and we're not in tactics only. We're in a translation of or combination of strategy and tactics together, which is what orchestrators live in and what they do. And when you're engaged in the work of pursuing an outcome together, um, what you're, you're talking about is a bit of the phenomenon that, that exists that I've seen as well, which is this, um, look, we can be super creative as we, as we uh, tackle this outcome. What ideas do you have? And sometimes, I don't know. People might say, I don't know uh, what to do, or I don't know how to go about it, or why don't you just tell me uh, what you need me to do so I can go do it? Is that what you're talking about? Is yeah, that right? That's, that's absolutely right. And then the other thing you have to be prepared for as an orchestrator is that if you ask them how we get there and what they think and how we may be more creative and innovative, you need to be able to listen to that because it might not be what you're thinking, but you need to be able to be open-minded enough to pay attention to it because it might be something that's worthwhile. Yeah. So yeah, that's exactly. Or, what or they may about. not have the words. I've seen this where, well, that's a really good point. Somebody's actually asking what I, what I think. So let me think about that. And it ends up in this a bit of a, you're wandering through the woods and you end up getting to the point down the road. So you have to have patience right. as well yeah. because they may not have the words to actually talk about these things. So there's yeah. empathy, patience and, um, and then also some guidance, right? Because, uh, as an orchestrator, you're living in the ecosystem view. You see things, you connect dots. So being able to provide the breadcrumbs or nudge people along without giving them the answer. But then when they do want the answer, being able to say, okay, uh, here's what my recommendation is. Right. Um, but you also bring up another piece, and um, it's this idea of you say when they get brought on the team. So let's talk about this orchestrating teams now because – the, the, um, one of the things that I'm finding in the space is, okay, I'm an orchestrator. And then if I were to flip it and say, what are you orchestrating? Um, some say I'm orchestrating an outcome. Some say I'm orchestrating a process. 
Some say I'm orchestrating a bunch of technologies together and weaving those together. I've heard people say that. I've heard people say I'm orchestrating um, people, obviously, which is what we just talked about. Um, but you're alluding to you're actually orchestrating teams, I believe. Is that correct? Yeah, but I, yes, but the team is driving to an outcome, mm -hmm. right? Or potentially a change in process mm -hmm. or implementing some new piece of technology. Mm -hmm. there's, mm -hmm. there's always some outcome that you're driving towards with that team. I, and I, so I think orchestration can be orchestrating a team, but it can also be orchestration, what you just said, we could be orchestrating a strategy or an outcome or something else, um, or it could be a combination thereof. Yeah. Yeah, especially, I mean, that's a, a totally, I'm tracking. And so just my, my piece on that is what I think you're saying is, you know, when you look at an outcome, it's not just one and done answer. There, there are multiple ingredients, I'll call them. And so the ingredients are obviously people, process, technology, information sometimes, right? Um, mm -hmm. And then there's this idea of who's doing what that you're alluding to and that I'm trying to draw out, which is who's producing what towards the outcome. We could produce that as individuals, but because we're orchestrating, it's when those people come together and uh, produce together and achieve that together it's that togetherness, i.e. a team, right. that, that we need to drive to. And I think what I want to do is say, what is, Kathy's, what's your, def, what's your thought about I orchestrate a bunch of individuals versus I orchestrate a team outcome? Yeah, I don't want to orchestrate individuals. Um, I, I think, you know, you orchestrate a team. And because people work better together and the outcome is better, I think when you have multiple people providing input to that outcome, there are times when you can't get to an outcome without multiple people working on it. I think it needs to be a team and you, and you work together as a team, you fail as a team, you succeed as a team, you drive as a team. Um, one of the things that I was really conscious of when I did a big software implementation at an enterprise company, I had a virtual team of over a hundred people. None of them reported to me, cross-functional. And we had a deadline, very tight, three months, get it done. You have to roll it out to 17,000 salespeople in three months. And, you know, the, everyone knew what the outcome needed to be and were there fights on the team internally to, when we got there, trying to get there? Yes, absolutely. But in the end, you know, we succeeded as a team. I, I I tried to tell them the whole way through that this was not Kathy's project. This is our project. This is, you know, something that's going to benefit the entire company. So to me, I don't, I don't think it's orchestrating individuals because then you have, you know, one person doing one thing and another person doing another thing. You need to orchestrate people as a team. Yeah. So that makes I like the the visualization here. I can see people on a call working on Kathy's discussion and she says, look, it's our team. And you, you did your hand movements. It's us together. Right. <laughs> and uh, so that, to, that piece of orchestrating the team, um, what, what did, did you have any, um, uh, I don't know the word disconnects with line managers. So, the reason why I'm bringing this up is 
when a hundred, when these people are on the team and they're all working together, they're also reporting into, cause it's a matrix organization. Yeah. Um, they had day jobs. Management. Yeah. They had their day jobs. So did any, anything you can share there with orchestrating uh, at that level, the manager of these people or uh, making sure the managers are supportive of the outcomes you're trying to drive? Yeah. I mean, the managers become a little bit of your stakeholders um, because you're using their resources to get the project complete. So a little bit, they become stakeholders. I mean, if you have challenges, sometimes you need to go to the managers and, and drive that. I didn't have a lot of mm, challenges with the managers or the day job kind of pieces because it was a pretty strategic initiative that we were driving. And, you know, people realized what the significant impact would be at the end of, of the project, including the managers, but they become part of that extended stakeholder team. I think that's the other thing that you need to think about when you're talking about orchestrating the team. You're not just orchestrating the team who's driving the outcome. You need to orchestrate up as well and orchestrate to the stakeholders because now you can imagine if you have a hundred people on your team, cross-functional all over the world, that's a pretty big stakeholder list at the top also who have expectations and need to know what's going on. Yeah, and stakeholder management and communication and um, providing providing invisibility into what's happening. Because on a strategic project like that, uh, the managers are going to come, annual review time, hey, what did this person accomplish? Right. Right? So it's better to to make sure they're in the loop along the way. For example, that's super tactical. But I can see what you mean there in in managing that communication. And And then so when you look at, um, we're, we're kind of painting a, a 360 view, right? You've got a team. The team doesn't necessarily work directly for you. However, they're all in the team together to drive this outcome. So we're orchestrating a team, not orchestrating a bunch of individuals. The team has been chartered to drive an outcome together. And everybody's aware of that. The managers that, that quote unquote own the people are aware of it. Everybody's rowing together in that. And along the way, what's happening, it sounds like is there's communication, there's coordination, there's visibility into progress. You know, I don't want to put words in your mouth. So if this isn't right, but there's this idea of we're achieving something together and it's not a black box. Absolutely. So in that view, when you look at uh, triangulating and, you know, managing all that, is this a, how would you, what would you say the difference is between an orchestrator and a, I don't know, project manager then? Yeah, that's a good question. So a project manager, because I've done project management as well, and a, you know, a project manager, a good project manager will have orchestration capabilities. But you know, from a project management, you're really driving a timeline, you're driving, it, it's less about kind of the whole relationship piece with a project. If you're doing strict project manager, it's less about the relationship and more about driving to the timelines and what are your dependencies, right? Your project plan, your work breakdown structure. Exactly. And here's our standard reporting. And are we, and that's what progress is, is checking things off on the the plan. So, so you think more of a, I think of a project manager more as a, if you want to put in your, your vernacular and Scott's vernacular as a doer, Mm -hmm. right They're They're tracking the doing. An orchestrator is really focused on, 
kind of the holistic relationship with that team of people. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, bringing together process and like we talked about process technology, capabilities, roles, provisibility. And, and I think what I would say is it, uh, let me try this on because what pops into mind, if a project manager is providing visibility into the doing, does an orchestrator provide visibility into the progress of, of the outcome pursuit? If we're pursuing an outcome with an orchestrator, does the orchestrator provide visibility into that progress? Well, I think an orchestrator is focused more on the strategy, right? And, and definitely on the progress and how does that relate to the strategic outcome and a project manager is not necessarily focused on what, how is this strategic? They, they don't care, they have a project, not that mm-hmm. they don't care, that's not accurate, but they have a project, they're tracking to that project, the strategy is not relevant to them or as relevant, but a, an orchestrator is focused on that strategy and how this whole effort is going to impact that strategy going forward yeah and and i would probably venture to say as well how it lands in sales or how it lands in the growth teams marketing sales service channel right so there's a there's an adoption angle of this too i think when i compare and contrast with you i'm kind of project managing doing yep i've seen that seen that there's also this aspect of we're done we're not really super awfully concerned in project land about adoption and life, you know, getting it in the bloodstream of sales, making sure that this is useful. It's more about, we got it done in, right. in my past experience. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, when you orchestrate an outcome um, and you, and you help the team achieve that um, what's the role of um, adoption in that, or do you bring that in um, is it, are you, are you, when you, is the outcome ever really achieved? I guess is what I'm getting at when you orchestrate against an outcome or is it more of an ongoing the outcome ever achieved is a house ever finished? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because I mean, that's what I'm, what I'm drawing. And the, re- the reason why I went there is on projects, you're like, okay, we're done. Roll up the scroll. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Everybody disband. We're done with our project. So we this is where out. I'll go back to a conversation I had with Scott, right. A, a little bit ago. And, and we were talking about, the next piece that kind of resonated with me out of, out of the um, webinar was around this rapid sprints and, and creating rapid sprints. And I said to Scott, well, well, doesn't everyone do that? And Scott said, no. And, he didn't so, say, no, he didn't say it like that. He's like, no. <laughs> so he, he said, I would be surprised. Right I know. He said, I would be surprised about how, how few people did that. So I also have some background in agile project management. Okay, lay it on me. So if you think about uh, your outcome being done or your house being done, my house has been done forever, but it's never done. And and the same with some of these kinds of strategic uh, outcomes that you're driving to, they may be what you consider done, but there's always an iterative process because something changes. Your strategy changes. You add a new product. You, your pricing structure changes. You uh, change your partner program. Something somewhere changes, and it's going to impact whatever it is that you are considered, considered what you have considered done. And so you need to be agile enough to be able to pick that back up, pivot with whatever that change was, to now make it done again. 
Yeah. And and you're ag- you're going to com- you're going to iterate on that as many times as necessary when you have these changes thrown at you. Yeah, so it's a an ongoing incremental improvement. There's a continuous improvement angle of orchestration as well. Correct. Is, is what I'm yeah. Yeah. So um Anything else on that? Because I'd love to, so this, we, what I would want to, I wanted to ask you a couple of questions about the webinar and how this all spawned, but any other questions around unpacking orchestrator? Cause that's what we're doing here where we ended up. Yeah, no, I don't, I don't think so. I think, you know, I'm really excited to have to know what it is I'm doing and that there's other people <laughs> out there like me. <laughs> so that's awesome. Yeah. yeah. And uh, birds of a feather flock together. So we'll find some more now. So when you, so the webinar, it's um, how many times did you listen to that state of sales enablement webinar or go through the slides? And you said you came in a little bit after it was actually launched, but you listened to the recording. How did you consume that? And what was the the process like in digesting that? So I, I, I didn't listen. I didn't attend the webinar when it happened. I had to go and listen to the replay. Um, and, and then it kind of, like I said earlier, it, it just kind of got brushed aside because of life and mm-hmm. things happening. And, and literally when Scott posted something, I was like, yeah, I need to brush that off. And I went back and I, and I read it and mm-hmm. I read it and thought, okay. And I kind of digested and the next day. I literally went back and looked at it again and because it was important enough for me to try and digest everything that I had heard and understood in there. And I've now, I, so you sent me the slides yes, yesterday before we started this, this recording again. Mm-hmm. And I went through them again. I was like, oh yeah, I forgot about X, Y, Z or, you know, these other things. And I, so I've been through them probably three or four times to be mm-hmm. able to go back and say, yeah, I need to, I need to remember about that. And, uh, and I've used parts of them when I talk to other people about the difference between a doer and an orchestrator. And I specifically pull out and I love the jars, right. For the mm-hmm. doers, all the different jars and everyone has a focused task and an orchestrator is kind of orchestrating the whole, the whole process and the people. And mm-hmm. so, so I, I, I've pulled those things out. So it's been really good to have that to reflect on and to go back to and the whole webinar series building so you know with the commercial ratio webinar and some of the other webinars that have fallen out of this Mm -hmm. uh, that's been really helpful also to be able to go back and refresh yeah i think this is helpful i've seen this too and and it's like what what i've found is the podcast market really teaches people a certain formula a podcast equals, you know, 30 minutes, it's a guest speaker, it's raw, raw, whatever. I mean, there's a formula that it seems like everybody's adopted and we don't do that here on our podcast. So we've had feedback around, well, you, you know, you're not like everybody else and some hate it, some love it, et cetera. But on the, on the webinar itself, when you look at what that is and how it's revealed itself three or four times, what, what you're doing to here is you're helping our listeners uh, learn how to consume. On one hand, burden is on us and Scott to to create something that's digestible. But on the other hand, it's up to the listeners to engage and, and get out of it what they what they can. And 
it's this this challenge because on on the the show and in the webinar we're driving towards the future of sales enablement which is going to put people outside their comfort zone and we're trying to push people into but like you said the clarification right clarifying what people actually do so in a way we're providing a, a re, we're actually just holding up the mirror and it's not you know scott that's complicated or the show that's um, getting into deeper topics, it's actually, we're showing reality and reflecting reality. And, and that's a little bit of my soapbox, but what I'm hearing you say is um, this idea of multi digesting the, the bits and getting out of it every time. Would you recommend that, that others do the same? I think, I mean, that's what worked for me. Right. But I'm also, I have, it's crazy. My, the daily, stress level is high and my task burden is high and trying to try and find the time to be able to do this and digest has been difficult. And so that's what works for me is to be able to go back when I need to, and to be able to look at those things and, and then, you know, jump into conversation. So you'll see that I'm pretty active on LinkedIn sometimes. Right. And then for a while, Brian, you don't hear from me. And, and you, know, <laughs> right. so you could tell when Kathy's like focused on other things. So that's yeah. what works for me. And I think, you know, everyone is different, but uh, if you have a chance to go back and, and look at something again, it will refresh you, definitely refresh your memory and you may get another aha moment out of it. Yeah, that's great. And I'm going to bring Scott here in a second to kind of recap this, but let me ask you something, Kathy, on the, the delivery of this, right? So over the last two, two and a half months here, we've had what I would consider some pretty groundbreaking research, obviously, I'm biased a little bit, um, but there's also, it's a, it's a large volume and it's pretty meaty. It's, it's, uh, to me, it's one of those things where um, it, it really is impactful. Do you think there's a, anything we could be doing from, from the spirit of continuous improvement to help uh, with the digestion piece? Is there a different way to deliver this? Is the, you know, podcast ideas or webinars a better vehicle? Is it, any thoughts you might have on things that we could be doing to improve? Um, I like the webinars. Um, I, and I like that I can go back, right? So I'll be honest with you, the whole commercial ratio webinar, that I, I had to have my calculator out. I was like, I, this is really hard for me to digest in the moment. So I've had to go back to that one too and try and get my non-mathematical accounting <laughs> brain to try and figure out the commercial ratio and that's that's so, at uh, for our listeners that's at commercialratio.com if you yeah. want to see what she's talking about yeah thanks yeah. so so i think for me that that works i i think keep up the great work there the podcasts are great too i actually in preparation i was very sad not to have a marco polo story because i just <laughs> went and listened to the last one before the, before oh, no. we recorded this one Scott's i was like not oh. gonna be able to sleep tonight actually it's my thing i said i don't think you need a story for this one marco polo so i <laughs> I was very sad not to have a Marco Polo story, but I, these are great, right? So they're digestible when I have time. I could go and listen to them whenever. So I like it. I don't, I don't know that I have feedback. I, I guess the one thing I will say is keep pointing, pointing to them from places we're at. So LinkedIn is a great place. I'm pretty active there. Keep pointing at them from the Sales Enablement Society discussion groups because if I see them multiple times in my face, then I'll remember to go and see them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And just the reminder piece. Yeah. 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 yeah I, um, 
That's good. That's helpful. Right. So um, thank you. Thank you for that. Um, So Scott, uh, I'd love to bring you back in and we covered a lot of ground there. I was, I was uh, really um, engaged there and (laughs) I I took a lot of notes on my side, but I'd love to hear your recap and any thoughts you might have around unpacking where we ended up here was unpacking orchestrator a little bit, which is awesome to me. Yeah. So one of the things that I want to highlight, so Kathy mentioned sort of off a side, uh, we had a, a, a brief conversation and uh, she said she really liked the sprints and she said, but it's kind of obvious. I said, well, it's not obvious. And I think that's really what's the value about what we're trying to do here is what I have learned having done keynote presentations for, you know, from the time at Forrester or, you know, you do a, your delivery as a management consultant and you leave. There's a lot of information that whoever is producing the, the output can glean from. So what I learned the most from is I go and talk to the keynote presenta- presenters and I ask them, what did they think of the reactions they got from the audience? Because it's really difficult to pull all this information together. So part of what I'd like us to, to figure out how we can go about doing it is if, if we were to make a database of each of the different slides, you know, and just sort of imagine that as rows, and then going across the board columns, it's really interesting what resonates with different people. So what resonated with Kathy is was resonating with a lot of people who are around the orchestrator part. There's a whole bunch of other stuff that the orchestrator stuff didn't resonate at all, but the commercial ratio really resonated or the whole idea of the sales enablement landscape resonated. And I think what's really fascinating is if we want to be orchestrators, we have to be much more aware of what resonates with other people, even though it's the same material that we're all, uh, all presenting to. So I'd like us to get sort of um, a cadence going, and I'll ask our Insider Nation uh, audience to help us out. When you listen to this, what were some of your takeaways? And how can we tell more stories there? I mean, I, I'm really thankful for Kathy. It takes a lot of courage to come on and just say, hey, here's what I think about this thing. I don't really know what you want, you know, but it's a conversation. And part of what we need to do is, I believe, in order for us to orchestrate, we have to learn more about each other. We're all human beings, first and foremost. And the great thing about human beings is we're all different. <laughs> it's, so um, the more we can learn from different people, the better off we're going to be. So we're going to keep trying to do that. So what we try to do in our, in our webinars, we're going to keep doing uh, more of those. They tend to be popular. We have a lot of work, uh, you know, a lot of work to do as we learn from these. We're going to keep doing the, the chat session. So, uh, you know, Kathy, if the, those of us who don't, aren't biased to math first, like uh, I know you're a, you're a journalist, so you like the words and you like the engagement first. I'm, I'm, I went to a tech school. I'm a numbers guy first. So um, when, you, when we're talking about something like that, we want to have a chat session and we want to have conversations, but then you go, can go back and listen to it later. We're trying to find more ways to share all of this information because it's got to be among and fit together or orchestrated. But then how do you pull out the woodwinds and listen to that? How do you pull out um, you know, what, the, what the strings uh, do to, to fill that out? So those are some of the reactions that I was getting from listening to you and uh, Kathy's conversation. Does that resonate with you guys? Is that, um, what, are you, what are your reactions to that? Yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, so I'm, I'm, I feel 
terrible that I can't do math without a calculator, but um, I, I, it's just the way it is. So, I, you know, like those are those are things that we need to, you know, own up and we know what our strengths are. We all need to understand what our strengths are and where we can focus and help our teams and, and move the whole strategy forward for, for our companies. And, and looking at sales enablement as a whole and looking at the whole landscape, you know, I, I have certainly some experience in one place that I don't have as broad experience in others. And I think this is a great forum for everyone to learn from each other from that perspective. Yeah, absolutely. And I would say also on that is I've learned a lot through this conversation around, um, you know, how you define your team uh, matters. So the perspective that if somebody believes the team is themselves, <laughs> which I've seen, I've, I've bumped into the, some of those people. Yeah. Uh, I've also had people who say, well, my, my team is my department. Um, I'm, I'm in XYZ department. That's my team. When you, when we are, when we are talking about the team is we're driving an outcome together. Um, that was, that was really insightful because to me, there's a big difference between I'm on a team to drive an outcome versus I'm assigned to marketing and I'm in the marketing department. And there's a lot of um, language around team that's used and it's not clear what team people are talking about. So this idea of among, this idea of perspective, understanding that we're all humans and how people perceive things often drives how they act and how they engage is critical. And um, that's a great point, Scott, around this idea of having more empathy for that and bringing people together and inviting them in. Well, here, here's another thing that uh, really resonates. So Kathy was talking about um, uh, sort of people uh, being on a team that may not want to be there. I like to call them the voluntold. Uh, mm -hmm. And that is any matrix organization is going to have that. So to, to, in order for us to move the needle as sales and maintenance professions, we have to work across the organizational matrix, which means we're going to be dealing with a lot of people who are voluntold. So some of those people think the way that you're doing it is stupid and they do it completely differently. Some of those people are completely checked out. They could give a rat's ass about the thing that they're voluntold on and they want to just do their day-to-day -day job. Other people really want to participate, and but they want to be liked by their teammates, for you know, rather than con so we we have this deal of a mass of humanity. And what's interesting enough is that's one of the design points that led to when, when we founded the the Sales Enablement Society. That was one of the design points: is how can we get a community of people who are all volunteers to build things and look at all the things that we built. So I think maybe what we could do is we could learn from some of those experiences, like how do you set up principles and be principle driven because that's important. Uh, you have to set some authority, um, but it's whenever you say the word authority, people immediately start twitching because they think command and control and you're going to act like Trump on me. Um, no one wants that. Uh, so you're going to run into all of these different, um, different variables and uh, I think we need to do a lot better job of being more aware of how work actually happens and really breaking those things down. And I, and I think that's something that we, we need to do a better job of on our podcast, uh, help highlight what those differences are. And, I th and so that, I think these things really resonate a lot with me. And that, that's, I also liked what Kathy said about, First of all, you're, if you're in the business of orchestrating people, then you're a manipulator, right? That's awful. People don't like that. <laughs> uh, 
but mm. you orchestrate a team for what? To get to an outcome. So like a composition that a musician puts together, Beethoven, that's already figured out, but still there's a lot of conducting that needs to happen for that music to be heard. Uh, not h- horribly like you would go to elementary school and hear, you know, Beethoven's fifth. It'd be horrifying. Um, but how it, how it should sound requires a lot of orchestration. So I think there's a lot of things that we can start really thinking more deeply about, about what this means, what our role is. And the more deeply we're able to think about it, I think the more able we're, the more we're going to be able to communicate what the business results are and then see how that concept connects to the math of what the commercial ratio is and, and bring these two, these, these fields together. So I think what we're going to do is we're going to wrap this, this up and start, uh, start moving forward uh, and find more ways to communicate. Inside our nation, what we'd love to do is uh, when you get a chance, so we'll do the assumptive close, when you get a chance to listen to any of our webinars, please reach out to us and say, hey, I'd like to, do, I'd like to be as courageous as Kathy and share my feelings of, of, of how I reacted to it to help the dialogue going. You can see we're not going to you know, pull you out and say, well, you got that. That was completely wrong. <laughs> That's not what we meant. Uh, and then you, your next opportunity is on July 21st at uh, 1 p.m. Eastern time. We're going to be talking about routes to value. What are routes to value? How do you get a whole bunch of product information together in the lens of customers? So uh, basically, it's the sheet music, if you will. How would you comprise the sheet music and how would you orchestrate all that messaging to provide economic value to executive level buyers? That's what we're going to cover. Thank you so much. Brian, last thoughts? Oh, I can't wait to see the, the reaction of the, the Insider Nation to the sheet music of Routes to Value. Uh, that, the idea of uh, organizing product to how customers need to buy is sorely needed. So uh, I, I look forward to hearing from the insiders on that. Yeah, we're definitely going to tackle productitis head on. So that was another very popular thing, Kathy, of... Uh, uh, commercial ratio was really popular in that uh, um, first one. The orchestrator, some people like the platypus so much they're considering getting tattoos. I have no idea what that's about. No value judgments. That's super cool, though. I wish we could make money selling merch. <laughs> oh, we, we're working on it. <laughs> right. <laughs> we are. Yeah. I, we'll, we'll, I'm just going to leave that there. But <laughs> we, you may be able to buy a, a visor with a platypus on it. That's all I'm going to say. Sweet. And uh, with, with that, we'll, we'll wrap up and please keep engaging because the more, uh, the more we're able to share the, how all of us look at things differently, the better off we are all together. And that's really the common theme of people are better together than they are individually. Thank you so much, Kathy, for your time. Thank you, Brian, for, for hosting us and, and doing it. Thank you, Insider Nation. We'll see you next time. Thanks for joining us. To become an insider and amplify your journey, make sure you've subscribed to our show. If you have an idea for what Scott and Brian can cover in a future podcast or have a story to share, please email them at engage at insidese.com. You can also connect with them online by going to insidese.com, following them on Twitter, or sending them a LinkedIn request.